0: Judge Jackson's story, her nomination today, is part of the evolving story of America. So, Judge Jackson, I want to congratulate you on this nomination. Despite all the darkness in the world, and the political brinksmanship has unfortunately become a hallmark of Congress in recent years, your nomination actually fills me with hope. Hope for the court. Hope for the rule of law. Hope for the country. One need look no further than the chaos, the devastation, inhumanity halfway around the world in Ukraine to know how precious our democracy is and how precious the legacy we have in our independent federal
1: judiciary. Well, I hope you're right, Senator.
2: In case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle
1: with you Yep, here I am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also uh, in California, up in Red in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Jamesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream Coast to Coast and around the globe every day on the Internet and the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, Sandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me... From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. uh, Very uh, quickly, uh, my uh, first, my thanks as ever for filling in for us on the previous Bradcast um, to our friend Nicole Sandler as my periodontal adventures continue. Uh, Thank you, Nicole, if you missed her interview with Ely Mistal on why we essentially, oh, no biggie, just need a new constitution at this point given the racist conditions under which the current one was written by our founders. uh, If you missed that show, you can download it, as always, for free at (laughs) brandblog.com.
3: Yeah, redoing the Constitution. That should be easy, right?
1: Everything else is so easy these days. I don't know why it would be so difficult to just throw out the Constitution <laughs> and start over from scratch. But Ely uh, Mistal has an idea of how to do that. So you can tune in uh, and hear that. Hello, Desi Doyne. You doing Hello. okay today? Uh, yes. Right. It's mon- you know, Nobody it's, believes, it's, you. Nobody I know, believes I know, you. I know, I know, I know. It has been a busy weekend uh, and a very busy start to the week already. So we're going to try to touch base on a number of items today before hopefully opening up the phones for at least a few minutes, if we're lucky to get your thoughts on a few of those things. Most notably, I'm interested in your reaction to uh, our response, specifically Joe Biden's reaction to Russia's war on Ukraine, as I find some uh, strange responses from Americans in poll numbers of late. Uh, Most notably, Americans seem to approve in pretty large majorities, of what Biden is actually doing in response to the Eastern European conflict and the various minefields that he must walk through to both support Ukraine and, you know, no biggie again, avoid a nuclear World War Three confrontation. And yet. Even though Americans broadly agree on what he is doing, we are not yet anyway seeing a rally around the flag type bump in Joe Biden's approval ratings. And I'm curious as to why. Uh, What more or maybe what less would you like to see Biden and the U.S. do in this conflict? I hope to get to your calls on that uh, on that question a little bit later today at 818-985-5735. As Putin's war and, yes, war crimes, as Joe Biden correctly described them, continue now uh, into its fourth uh, just horrifically brutal week. And, uh, And as it's turning into a bit of a deadly stalemate, at least on the ground, also in many horrific ways. But first, we must turn to the U.S. Supreme Court today. With two top related stories of note. First, as you may have heard, breaking on uh, late on Sunday night, Justice Clarence Thomas was hospitalized uh, because of an infection. The Supreme Court announced on Sunday, a full two days after he had been admitted to the hospital, experiencing What the uh, statement describes as flu-like symptoms, the 73-year-old Justice Thomas was admitted to Sibley Memorial Hospital in Washington, D.C. on Friday. The court offered no explanation for why it waited two days to disclose that the justice was in the hospital. They also provided no additional details about that infection, but said that Thomas, who has been on the court since his controversial nomination in 1991... When he was, by the way, which very few people seem to know. So I I find that I need to mention this from time to time. Uh, At the time in 1991, he was his uh, nomination was heavily promoted by millions of dollars worth of of advertising and uh, PR by a then little known so-called nonpartisan nonprofit group by the name of Citizens United. Heard of them? Uh, They would, of course, enjoy their payback some years later, as as would Thomas's far right activist wife, Ginny Thomas, and her her own so-called nonpartisan nonprofit right wing activist groups who ended up receiving millions of dollars in thank you money following the Supreme Court decision known as, yes, Citizens United. That same group, which then allowed for unlimited corporate money in politics and, yes, Uh, In the judiciary, apparently. Anyway, the corrupt Ginny Thomas's corrupt husband, Clarence, is reportedly being treated with antibiotics and his symptoms are said to be abating. The court says that he could be released in the next couple of days. Some have speculated that Justice Thomas could be suffering from COVID, but various reports can't verify if they're accurate, have have uh, said that whatever he has, it isn't covid. In short, we know very little about what's going on with Justice Thomas right now, other than he is in the hospital with an infection of some sort. The Supreme Court is meeting this week to hear arguments in four different cases. Thomas, the court says, plans to participate in the cases anyway, even if he misses the oral arguments. And of course, why shouldn't he? I don't suspect oral arguments make any difference at all for a radical activist jurist like Clarence Thomas who regularly votes to overturn longstanding precedents in order to legislate from the bench. You know, exactly the thing that Republicans have long and falsely accused Democrat, uh, Democratic appointees to the federal bench of doing and as ranking majority uh member i'm sorry minority member of the us senate judiciary committee uh chuck grassley once again cited today uh in the opening his opening remarks near the top of the senate confirmation hearings he uh, cited this 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 notion about oh we we don't want activist judges yeah well they don't want democratically appointed judges Democratic presidents appointed. Uh, in any event, uh, he he mentioned that at the uh, top of the uh, confirmation hearings for U.S. Appeals Court Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, Joe Biden's nominee to replace Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, who will be retiring at the end of uh, the court's session in early summer. But speaking of all of this, we're going to get to her opening remarks in a second. But speaking all of all of this, Rhode Island's Democratic senator. Sheldon Whitehouse had this, uh, pardon the pun, on-the-money response to the Supreme Court nominations process on Monday during Ketanji Brown Jackson's first day of hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee.
4: Judge Jackson will be an exemplary justice both because of the qualities that she possesses and because she did not undergo a secret pre-selection process to get here. She is before us on the basis of her own merit, not on the recommendation of a secretive right-wing donor operation, hiding behind anonymous multi-million dollar donations, and aimed at capturing the United States Supreme Court as if it were some 19th century railroad commission. The unpleasant fact is that the present court is the court that dark money built. Anonymous donations funded the Federalist Society while it housed the selection turnstile run by the dark money donors. Anonymous money funded the dark money group down the same hallway as the Federalist Society that ran the dark money political campaigns for the selected justices. And because of all that secrecy, Americans are denied any real understanding of the overlap of all that dark money with the political dark money funding the Republican Party which could well explain the wreckage of Senate norms, rules, and procedures that accompanied the confirmation process of recent nominees. Judge Jackson's nomination and the process by which she was selected stand in sharp contrast. President Biden undertook a thorough and independent review of her record, and she will proceed through a thorough and fair process here in the Senate. We will abide by the new precedents set by Republicans in recent years, but we will not be fabricating new ones. We've already seen dark money groups use dark money to run ads charging that dark money swayed this selection. We are hearing that again today. Ironic, when hundreds of millions of dollars in right-wing dark money built the current court majority.
1: Thank you very much, Senator Whitehouse. Uh, As I say, right on the money. Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown-Jackson pledged on Monday to decide cases, quote, without fear or favor if the Senate confirms her historic nomination as the first black woman on the high court. The 51-year-old Jackson, incredibly enough, would also be the first public defender, to sit on the high court and only the second sitting justice with actual experience as a trial judge, believe it or not. Jackson addressed the Senate Judiciary Committee at the end of her first day of confirmation hearings on Monday after nearly four hours. Almost entirely consumed by opening statements from the panel's 22 members, Republicans promised uh, pointed questions over the coming two days with a special focus on her record on criminal matters. They have telegraphed that they intend to describe her somehow as soft on crime, largely because she served in the critical role of a public defender while Democrats were otherwise full of praise for President Joe Biden's Supreme Court nominee. Democrats sought to preemptively rebut Republican criticism of her record on criminal matters as a judge and, before that, as a federal public defender and a member of the U.S. Sentencing Commission. Jackson, quote, is not anti-law enforcement and is not, quote, soft on crime, said Senator Pat Leahy, Democrat from Vermont, noting that members of Jackson's family have worked in law enforcement and that she has support from some national law enforcement organizations. Judge Jackson is no judicial activist, he added, and I would add, unlike many Republican nominees, from the late Antonin Scalia to the ailing Clarence Thomas, just to name a few of those activist judges. With Jackson's family sitting behind her in the hearing room and her husband in socks with George Washington's likeness on them, Jackson stressed that she had been independent and transparent in her nine years as a judge and that she is ever mindful of the importance of that role. Here were Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson's brief opening remarks, at least most of them, at the end of a long day of Senate Judiciary hearings on Monday.
5: Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Grassley, and distinguished members of the Judiciary Committee, thank you for convening this hearing and for considering my nomination as Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. I am humbled and honored to be here. And I am also truly grateful for the generous introductions that my former judicial colleague, Judge Tom Griffith, and my close friend, Professor Lisa Fairfax, have so graciously provided. I'm also very thankful for the confidence that President Biden has placed in me and for the kindness that he and the First Lady and the Vice President and the Second Gentleman have extended to me and my family. Today will be the fourth time that I've had the honor of appearing before this committee to be considered for confirmation. Over the past three weeks, I have also had the honor of meeting each member of this committee separately, and I've met with 45 senators in total. Your careful attention to my nomination demonstrates your dedication to the crucial role that the Senate plays in this constitutional process, and I thank you. And while I'm on the subject of gratitude, I must also pause to reaffirm my thanks to God. For it is faith that sustains me at this moment. Even prior to today, I can honestly say that my life has been blessed beyond measure. The first of my many blessings is the fact that I was born in this great nation a little over 50 years ago in September of 1970. Congress had enacted two civil rights acts in the decade before and like so many who had experienced lawful racial segregation firsthand, my parents, Johnny and Ellery Brown, left their hometown of Miami, Florida and moved to Washington, D.C. to experience new freedom. When I was born here in Washington, my parents were public school teachers, and to express both pride in their heritage and hope for the future, they gave me an African name, Kitanji Onyika," which they were told means lovely one. My parents taught me that unlike the many barriers that they had had to face growing up, my path was clearer. So that if I worked hard and I believed in myself in America, I could do anything or be anything I wanted to be. Like so many families in this country, they worked long hours and sacrificed to provide their children every opportunity to reach their God-given potential. My parents have been married for almost 54 years and they're here with me today. I cannot possibly... Thank them enough for everything they've done for me. I love you, Mom and Dad. My father, in particular, bears responsibility for my interest in the law. When I was four, we moved back to Miami so that he could be a full-time law student, and we lived on the campus of the University of Miami Law School. During those years, my mother pulled double duty, working as the sole breadwinner of our family while also guiding and inspiring four-year-old me. My very earliest memories are of watching my father study. He had his stack of law books on the kitchen table while I sat across from him with my stack of coloring books. My parents also instilled in me and my younger brother, Kataj, the importance of public service. It was also my great good fortune to have had the chance to clerk for three brilliant jurists, U.S. District Judge Patty Saris, U.S. Court of Appeals Judge Bruce Celia, and Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. These extraordinary people were exceptional role models. Justice Breyer, in particular, not only gave me the greatest job that any young lawyer could ever hope to have, but he also exemplifies what it means to be a Supreme Court Justice of the highest level of skill and integrity, civility, and grace. It is extremely humbling to be considered for Justice Breyer's seat, and I know that I could never fill his shoes. But if confirmed, I would hope to carry on his spirit. On the day of his Supreme Court nomination, Justice Breyer said, quote, what is law supposed to do, seen as a whole? It is supposed to allow all people, all people, to live together in a society where they have so many different views, so many different needs, to live together in a way that is more harmonious, that is better, so that they can work productively together, end quote. I could not have said it better myself. Members of this committee, if I am confirmed, I commit to you that I will work productively to support and defend the Constitution and this grand experiment of American democracy that has endured over these past 246 years. I have been a judge for nearly a decade now and I take that responsibility and my duty to be independent very seriously. I decide cases from a neutral posture. I evaluate the the facts and I interpret and apply the law to the facts of the case before me without fear or favor, consistent with my judicial oath. I know that my role as a judge is a limited one, that the Constitution empowers me only to decide cases and controversies that are properly presented. And I know that my judicial role is further constrained by careful adherence to precedent. Now, in preparing for these hearings, you may have read some of my more than 570 written decisions. And you may have also noticed that my opinions tend to be on the long side. That is because I also believe in transparency. That people should know precisely what I think and the basis for my decision. And all of my professional experiences, including my work as a public defender and as a trial judge, have instilled in me the importance of having each litigant know that the judge in their case has heard them, whether or not their arguments prevail in court. During this hearing, I hope that you will see how much I love our country and the Constitution and the rights that make us free. I stand on the shoulders of So many who have come before me, including Judge Constance Baker Motley, who was the first African-American woman to be appointed to the federal bench and with whom I share a birthday. And like Judge Motley, I have dedicated my career to ensuring that the words engraved on the front of the Supreme Court building, equal justice under law, are a reality and not just an ideal. Thank you for this historic chance to join the highest court, to work with brilliant colleagues, to inspire future generations, and to ensure liberty and justice for all.
1: That was Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson speaking at her first day of uh, U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee hearings on Monday after being nominated to fill the seat, being vacated on the Supreme Court by Justice Stephen Breyer. Barring a significant misstep, Democrats who control the Senate by the slimmest of margins intend to wrap up her uh, confirmation before Easter. She'd be the third black justice the first female black justice, uh, but the third uh, black justice after Thurgood Marshall and Clarence Thomas, uh, and, and as I say, as well as the first black woman on the High Court, Jackson appeared. Before the same committee last year, after Joe Biden chose her to fill an opening on the Federal Appeals Court in Washington, D.C., just down the hill from the Supreme Court, the American Bar Association, which evaluates judicial nominees, has given Jackson its highest rating of well-qualified. Jeanette McCarthy-Wallace, the general counsel of the NAACP, said she was excited to see a black woman on the verge of a high court seat. She said representation matters. It's critical to have diverse experience on the bench. It should reflect the rich cultural diversity of this country. While few Republicans are likely to vote for Jackson, most GOP senators did not aggressively criticize her, at least not on Monday, given that her confirmation would not alter the court's 6-3 right-wing stolen and packed right-wing majority. Democrats are moving quickly to confirm her. However, even though Breyer's seat will not officially open until the summer, they have no votes to spare in their 50-50 Senate right now that they run uh, by virtue of the tie-breaking vote of Vice President Kamala Harris. But they are not moving as fast as Republicans did when they installed Amy Coney Barrett on the court little more than a month after the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and just eight Days before the 2020 presidential election. Last year, Jackson won Senate confirmation to that appellate court seat by a 53-44 vote with three Republicans supporting her. We'll see if any of those Republicans, uh, I believe it was Susan Collins of Maine, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska who voted for her. We'll see if any of them have the courage to do the right thing and vote in support of her once again As they did just last year. The question and answer portion of the hearings will be on Tuesday and Wednesday, with each senator on the committee getting 30 minutes to question the nominee on Tuesday, and then they'll get another 20 minutes on Wednesday if they want a second round of questioning. With several Republicans on the committee, uh, such as Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, with presidential ambitions, there's likely to be more than a bit of attempted showmanship in some of these uh, rounds of questioning in the days ahead. You're if
3: calling it showmanship? I would call it some... What uh, would you
1: call it? Well, what would you call it that FCC I can say radio. on FCC, You're exactly? Right. Good
3: point. I wouldn't call it showmanship. <laughs> I would maybe call it showboating and go. a lot of false claims and allegations.
1: Well done. And thank you for not getting me in trouble with the FCC. Uh, anyway, if there's anything actually newsworthy in any of those uh, two days of questioning, uh, we will, of course, carry it on this program. Uh, so this seems like a good moment here to take a quick break, come back with some uh, some war news, unfortunately, and in particular, your thoughts on it. And specifically, what, if anything, you would like to see Joe Biden and the U.S. doing more of or Less of. Some curious polling on those matters uh, caught my eye of late, so I'd love to hear from you about it. If you're in our live Southern California listening area or if you're listening at uh, via KPFK.org, our phone number is 818-985-5735. If you want to jump in line right now, if you have any thoughts on uh, Monday's Senate hearings for KBJ, or on her opening remarks, I will welcome the calls on that as well. 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast.
3: And thanks.
1: Scary. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Don't be scared. Uh, I want to get to your calls uh, on the war effort, which I will discuss momentarily. But I see that Lynette from Gardena wants to get in with some thoughts on uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson today. Oh, Lynette, welcome to the broadcast. Oh, Lynette, are you there? Do we have you? We we don't have Lynette? Okay. Hang on, Lynette. We'll see if we can figure it out. I'm sure it's Mark's fault some way or another. 818-985-5735 is our phone number, if we can get the phone lines fixed. Until then, uh, Ukraine refused Russian demands on Monday to surrender Mariupol. With the besieged port city now the focal point of a war that has reached a brutal stalemate, at least in the ground war, but is fueling a devastating humanitarian crisis there as the southern coastal city of about half a million people remains still cut off from food, water, heat, medicine, as they have been now for weeks, while Russia's war on its sovereign neighbors continues into its fourth week. Kiev rejected the demand to give up the city to surrender by five AM. A.M. local time. They rejected that several hours before that deadline given by Russia after Moscow promised to allow civilians trapped amid the bombardment, allowed them to leave to escape, but only if. The defenders of the city laid down their arms. Moscow did not say what would happen if Ukraine de- declined to meet that demand for surrendering by that deadline with more than 100,000 people still largely trapped in the war-torn city on the Sea of Azov. Control of the city would be key to Moscow's allowing Putin's army a land bridge from Russia to Crimea, which they annexed about, uh, what are we, eight years ago now? Um and it would also connect its forces in the east with its forces in the south, fighting along the Black Sea coast for control of a number of towns. Seizing control of the strategic city would represent a big victory for Russian forces, with their advance seemingly ground to a halt elsewhere, and their campaign shifting to intensifying aerial bombardment of Ukrainian cities. This has essentially become a, uh, well, d- two different wars. In one sense, happening at the same time, a land war, which is largely ground to a halt to a stalemate and where, in fact, the Ukrainian army has actually made some advances in their counterattacks against Russian ground troops in recent days. So that's one war and the other, the air war, which Russia is easily winning by uh, way of long range artillery bombardment from within Russia and increased air attacks by bombs and fighter jets in recent days. While it can be said that uh, Ukraine is winning on the ground, or at least not losing much ground. The air war, on the other hand, has been exceedingly costly and deadly and, yes, criminal, as the Russian army has mercilessly targeted civilian areas for weeks now. A fresh attack on Kiev, the, U- the uh, Ukrainian capital on Sunday, uh, left at least eight people dead and a shopping center completely destroyed, according to Ukrainian officials. One uh, senior NATO intelligence official told NBC, if we're not in a stalemate, we are rapidly approaching one. The reality is that neither side has a superiority over the other, at least not on the ground. It's believed that uh, Belarus, a close Russian ally, could soon attack Ukraine themselves and uh, that they are preparing to potentially let Russia position nuclear weapons on Belarusian soil. According to the uh, intelligence official, the ominous assessment comes as President Joe Biden and world leaders prepare for a major NATO summit on Thursday in Belgium and as President Biden plans to visit Poland, where hundreds of thousands, uh, if not millions of Ukrainian refugees have poured into fleeing Ukraine. Uh, which borders Poland to the east. Another troubling report out of Ukraine today is that the automated radiation monitoring system in the Chernobyl exclusion zone is said to be no longer working, according to Ukraine's state nuclear company on Monday, raising fears about one of the most radioactive places in the world. The uh, vast land around the Chernobyl plant, the site of the 1986 nuclear disaster, has been closely watched since Russian forces seized it in late February. In a post on the Telegram messaging app on Monday, Ukrainian nuclear operator Energoatom said that there was no data on, quote, the current state of radiation pollution in the exclusion zone. Desi Doyen, they've... Uh, we don't know that that's, this means uh, that, that radiation is rising or anything else. We just don't know what is going on.
3: We're yeah, blinded that's, to that's it. That's the problem with it. Yeah. And that is a violation of the International Atomic Energy Agency's uh, uh, rules that all nations have signed on to. to to cut off the feeding of data to the nonpartisan non nonprofit International Atomic Energy yeah. Agency. So the problem is that we don't know what's going on, although the IAEA says that they believe that everything's under control, that the Chernobyl site just went through its first shift change in weeks, which is important because you don't want your nuclear site staff to be tired and exhausted. So there's that positive aspect there. but yeah, without lack with that lack of data, that's very, very concerning.
1: And it's troubling because uh, the area that we're talking about is highly radioactive already. This is like a thousand mile uh, radius uh, around the plant, as I recall, a thousand square miles around the the site of the catastrophe. It's 60 miles from Kiev. The... Uh, The Ukrainian nuclear operator said there is a high probability that in the spring and summer, the intensity of forest fires in the exclusion zone may reach the maximum possible limits, which will lead... In the, advance of, in the absence of any fire measures to almost complete burning of radioactively contaminated forests in the exclusion zone, consequently that would lead to significant deterioration, they say, of radiation in Ukraine and, yes, throughout Europe, and I would add, yes, throughout Russia – Despite uh, decades passing since the disaster, radioactive elements still in the air continue to pose harm. Ukrainian authorities also said uh, Russia shelled a chemical plant outside the eastern city of Sumy, sending toxic ammonia leaking from a 50-ton tank. In response, Russia has claimed that Ukraine bombed its own chemical plant. ...in order to allow them to make false charges of a chemical attack by Russia. Last week, Russia claimed that Ukraine had also bombed its own maternity hospital... Uh, in Mariupol and that, in fact, the facility had been shut down and had no children or expectant mothers in it. AP's reporters on the ground, however, among the very few international reporters still inside of Mariupol, uh, refuted those claims. They followed up with the mothers who were evacuated after the shelling and reported that at least one of those mothers and her stillborn child had died in the aftermath we report you decide as they say uh, before I get to uh, this uh, polling on Joe Biden and his response to what's going on in uh, in Ukraine and your responses to that at 818-985-5735 let me try uh, do we think we'll have any better luck with Lynette should I give it a try I
3: think so yeah we'll try
1: Lynette in Gardena hey Lynette welcome to the broadcast. do we got you Oh, the fingers are crossed, but no luck. Is that, you, do we think that's Lynette, by the way, or do we think that's our phone system? I'm
3: not really sure, so we're going to try to figure it out. Thanks right. for trying, and we, Lynette, <laughs> uh, call me back. <laughs> okay, or hang on,
1: Lynette. Uh, or maybe, I don't know, maybe she should call you back. 818 985 5735 if our phones are working. Uh let me oh let me test it. Let's go to John in Sun Valley. This might tell us whether it's the phones or if it's Lynette. Uh hey John, welcome to the broadcast. Are you able to hear Am I able to hear you, I should say? <laughs> oh, there we go. John, I got gotcha. you. All right. You, uh, anyway,
2: uh up. what's up? Yeah, have her Anyway, I think uh Biden should stick his nose, keep his nose, keep the American nose out of other country's business once and for all and when i'm in the chemical business and when they you have a a spill you stop the leak first before you clean it up mm-hmm. so the way to stop these wars is to stop the leak that causes them
1: what what is and the is john what is the
2: that constantly goes on and it's uh biden and uh what's the leak shooting, uh, what, the leak?
1: Yeah, you said... It's uh, we, constant, yeah.
2: constant meddling and, and setting people up, setting it all up, uh, The, the uh, uh-huh. whether it's NATO or not, But just uh, give everybody else a right to privacy as well as us, uh, us citizens of this country. So,
1: John, I assume that, that means... John, John, let me ask you a question. We'll, we'll be fine. Uh, will Ukraine be fine? You're, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is allow well, Russia to roll over Ukraine. Still, is that right?
2: Yeah. Uh, it's too late to fix that. Okay, the the leak really? is already spilled. You got to you, you got <clears> to <throat>
1: stop the leak. Okay, you John. Just to be clear, I just want to be clear it's that very, I understand your position because it's kind of remarkable. Yeah. So you're saying let Russia yeah. take Ukraine? You don't care, right?
2: Uh, there'll be less people dying that way. Okay,
1: okay. so let them take Ukraine, and, and the then only, and then let yeah. me ask you, John, if they wanted to, yeah. then roll into Poland. We should stay out of that as well. Let them take Poland, maybe Hungary, uh, Moldova.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'd, okay. I'd say I'd say these 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 countries are all a pile of nonsense. That all <laughs> basically take care of themselves and and uh, let the people die. Wow.
1: Okay. Thanks, okay. John. I I, uh, I appreciate yeah. the call. Sort of. Uh, that's kind of amazing to me. Eight one eight nine eight five KPFK. That any of our listeners would actually feel that way. Uh, As I started to say uh, back here at home, oh, do we have Lynette? Okay, we have Lynette. Let's do Lynette. Let's see. We'll find out. Uh, Hey, Lynette, welcome to the broadcast. Do we have you on this time? Yes. Hi. Hey. Third time's a charm. Okay, what's on your mind, Lynette?
6: Uh, It's so good to talk to you and, of course, Desi and the KPFK, you know, uh, and us just out here worrying worrying in in the right way we got to war for the truth and for real democracy here at home before we start somewhere else and we need to make be say blessed are the peacemakers for they be for they shall be called the children of god and that's the problem we have a military industrial complex that has gone awry and we sell munitions to ourselves to the whole world i mean nobody's talking about india and pakistan you know what happened with that. You know, India uh struck Pakistan and, and they get their their military from us, see? Mm-hmm. And then nobody wants to talk about Syria. But but you know what happened with Lebanon? Lebanon is taking up all that stuff that's going on with Syria.
1: Well, we've been talking about a lot of that. Of course I realize not everyone has, but we have been talking about a lot of that for a lot of years. Right now we've got a very, very hot and deadly war going on in uh in Ukraine. What, I say
6: this though so- we gotta have it to where we where uh, Ukraine can say no to Russian expansionism and no to NATO expansionism and just be like Switzerland and be neutral. Yeah, that's,
1: that's what all. they that's what they already said that they would do actually at this point, Lynette. Except yeah. that has not stopped Russian forces
6: and, and pushed that because and uh, of course you know we could do some hacking you know with that 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 uh, the, the uh, you know and. Really, everybody needs to get their bombs and send it toward these meteors. Have you been hearing about the meteor system coming? That's why Apple is having trouble with their cloud. Mm,
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, I I don't know if it's the meteor causing that problem, Lynette. I I hear you. There's a lot we have to pay attention to, but there is a very real and horrific humanitarian uh, situation going on right now as we speak, with hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of uh, Ukrainians right now being bombarded.
6: More war is not going to help.
1: Okay. Uh, well, I don't know what what will help. Just let you know, the war—just let the war happen, Lynette.
6: And practice in peace for a change. Give peace a a chance.
1: Hey, you man, know, I'm you know. all in favor. But Lynette, are you saying that we should do nothing? Just let Russia roll over Ukraine? That's okay if that's what you're saying. Do we lose, Lynette? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Is that what you're saying, Lynette? Just let Russia take Ukraine.
6: We can we still do the sanctions, but we gotta get Wall Street to get in line with it too, because they're not really, you know, they they're some they amoral, okay? They're the parasites that's yeah. killing the whole part of America, okay? I hear you. We're gonna so, talk
1: about we're gonna talk about Wall Street's part in this, uh in the days ahead this week, uh Lynette, I promise you. Thanks. Thanks for that call and thanks for getting back to us three times. Sorry you had to do that. Uh eight one eight nine eight five Five, seven, three, five. Uh, Basically, uh, the polling is this. um, There is huge, broad approval from Republicans and Democrats alike for the specific things that Joe Biden is actually doing here, Um, working with uh, working with the, the West to bring sanctions against Russia Uh, helping uh, Ukraine by uh, shipping in defensive arms and so forth. Huge numbers, uh, you know, that we never see. For example, uh, large majorities also favor keeping uh, large numbers of U.S. military forces in NATO countries near Ukraine in response to the conflict. Seventy-seven percent of Americans feel that way, including 75 percent of Republicans, 81 percent of Democrats— just if you go point by point to Joe Biden's response to what is going on, America, Americans are in favor right, left, middle, everywhere else. And yet with all the support from Republicans and Democrats alike for the actual things that Joe Biden has done, the new survey also finds that Joe Biden's approval is largely his own personal approval rating is largely unchanged from January. Currently, just 43% of Americans approve of how Joe Biden is handling his job as president. 55 disapproved. That's little changed since January, when uh, just 41% approved of Biden's job performance. So it's ticked up a couple of points, but it's largely within the margin of error on that survey. And this is kind of surprising for me uh, because usually there, you know, is sort of a rally around the flag effect that happens in situations like this, in disasters and wars. And frankly, now we have both of them. Usually there would be a bump in presidential polling. That is not the case here. And I'm not sure why. I'm wondering why is that? Why do Americans approve of what Joe Biden is doing if you ask about the specific actions that he's taken, but if you ask them if they support the Biden administration's response to the war, only just under half of Americans approve. And, uh, you know, it, I'm, I'm not surprised that Republicans uh, would have this reaction. Basically, they you know, their brains have been poisoned to such an extent by right wing propaganda that they you know simply can't say that they approve of Joe Biden himself. And many Republicans seem to think that, you know, Joe Biden should be doing more to help, like declaring a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which would, of course, result in direct combat between the U.S. and NATO forces with a nuclear-armed Russia led by an unbalanced dictator at this time. Uh, Frankly, I don't. I don't actually care why Republicans disapprove. That's what they've been trained to do. I'm curious about our largely left-leaning progressive audience. What do you believe the U.S. should do more of right now? What should Joe Biden do more of? Or what should he do less of right now? Or do you think, as I tend to right now, uh, though I'm open to being persuaded otherwise, uh, that Joe Biden is pretty deftly handling a wildly... Dangerous situation, and so far, at least walking through an unbelievably dangerous minefield in both supporting Ukraine, punishing Russia, yet not escalating the matter to World War III with a nuclear armed Russia. As you know, if you're a regular listener to this program, I've had plenty of concerns about the behavior of the U.S. and NATO toward Russia in recent years, but frankly, I got to tell you, that critique for now anyway, went out the window once Russia began the bombing, once they began their violent assault on a sovereign democratic neighbor. My own personal feeling in that regard has, I admit, hardened as we have seen atrocious war crimes unleashed against civilians across the entire country. And I got to give credit to Joe Biden for calling it for what it is, for saying, yeah, he believes Joe, uh, uh, Vladimir Putin is, in fact, a war criminal. But this is not a defensive move on the Russian-Ukrainian border. This is not even a response to the encroachment of NATO into Ukraine, since Ukraine, during the peace talks, has made pretty clear from all reports that they're ready to give up the idea of joining NATO, not that they were ever invited, and that they would be willing to declare neutrality. They've said that. But that has not stopped Putin's fascist assault on an imperfect but improving sovereign democracy next door to Russia. So I believe that Putin has given up any legitimate arguments that he and Russia might have had prior to this outrageous, deadly invasion on February 24th. But that's just me. Maybe you feel a bit differently. Our phone number is 818-985-KPFK. Let me take a quick break and we will come back with your calls. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com taking your calls on Russia, Ukraine, and what more or less – Joe Biden and the U.S. should be doing right now. Let's go to Nancy and with here. Welcome to the broadcast, Nancy.
6: Hi. Hi. Um, I have a solution to Ukraine's getting their planes okay. without, without uh, starting World War Three. Okay. We put the plane someplace in a neutral spot.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: We give the Ukraine's the keys,
3: mm-hmm.
6: and then we let the Ukraine's... Steal the plane? Okay, what? That way, nobody gave them the
1: plane. Well, what, what, where, where are you going to find a neutral spot, Nancy? I don't know. Okay. <laughs>
6: There ought to be
1: some place where they can steal them. Uh, all right. So just leave the keys, roll down the windows, and walk away and uh, leave them somewhere. I don't know where this place would be. Uh, you know, Poland wanted to give them to uh, Germany, uh, to an Air Force base, a U.S. Air Force base in Germany, and somehow we get them to them. Uh, not sure if your idea would work, but I do appreciate the ingenuity of it. Thank you very much for that call, Nancy. 818-918. Uh, what is my number? 818 985 KPFK. Let me go to Richard. in. Uh, Rich is on the 405. I hope you're driving uh, carefully, sir.
0: I am, sir. Thank you for taking my call. What's up? Um, I think the thing that I would hope is, first of all, this tragic situation to come to an end as soon as possible. And I think the reality on the ground, in you know, my opinion, is that the, uh, the uh, Ukrainian army. Uh, cannot sustain uh, any kind of defense. That they are uh, in the first couple of days, the uh, major command and control posts were decimated. Which means even if there is still soldiers on the ground, they're not communicating with each other except maybe by cell phone. Uh, So there's all pockets, but they're disorganized pockets.
1: You know, Richard, that what you're describing actually is not the Ukrainian army, at least as I understand it now, you know, of course, fog of war and all of that. Uh, but if you uh, you know read uh, military sources, military analysis that's available out there, sort of in 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 real time on Twitter and elsewhere, what you seem to be describing is actually the Russian army on the ground, not the Ukrainian army. They're actually uh, they actually pushed back uh, some of the Russian lines over the weekend. I don't think, at least on the ground. Now the air war is a different story, but on the ground. Uh, I'm not sure what you're describing is actually accurate, Richard.
0: Well, I would say this, Brad. My only concern is to eliminate or stop or somehow uh, lower the loss of life, the loss of destruction. Mm -hmm. And right now, um, whether it's reports, as you're saying, um, the opposite, I would suggest to everyone who's listening that you know there are there are people out there that would be happy to let Ukraine fight to the last Ukrainian to the last building and turn it into Fallujah, as we did in Iraq about 20 years ago.
1: Well, and the point is yeah. the
0: sooner we get to a peace, a negotiated settlement, a realistic settlement that mm-hmm. the Ukrainians are in no position to fight, and we don't need to just continue this uh, uh, this war because there's no possibility of NATO supporting. Or defending the Ukraine. They can talk about bringing missiles and equipment across the border, but just as we saw over the weekend, that a uh, warehouse where they had put $400 million of equipment mm-hmm. was blown to bits by the caliber hypersonic missile. Okay, So you cross the border, it's a suicide mission. They're not going to fly jets. Heck, we don't even have readiness levels. In the uh, in our bases in the, in Germany. Let me it let me say let me say a couple
1: of months. let me just give you a couple of points because I'm 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 coming up to the top of the hour. Unfortunately, a lot of folks want to get in. Uh, Richard, uh, a we don't know whether that hypersonic missile was actually a hypersonic missile. That's what Russia says it was. Uh, Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But it's Ukraine who is both participating in peace talks every day now. Uh, They have made concessions. They said they they would go without joining NATO. They would declare neutrality and so forth. That what they won't do is surrender their nation to a foreign invader. And uh, that foreign invader uh, will not drop their arms, will not stop fighting. So, You know, it's hard for me to uh, say Ukraine should do this or that for their own country, for their own lives, when isn't it really up to them, not us?
0: Uh, It certainly is up to them. But then for the last 20 years, we've been pushing NATO eastward. Even though we made promises that we promised to keep from multiple administrations, multiple State Department officials, multiple Department of Defense, we continue to move that point. Yeah, Yeah, we we did. We did, Richard. Yeah. Well, you're you're basically if you're going to position heavy equipment on somebody's border, you're going to trigger warfare, just like when we put the missiles in Turkey in 1962, we got the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. We just want to repeat stupid over and over again. We're going to kill every Ukrainian in the country.
1: Okay, well, I hear you. I would also add, Richard, that uh, Russia said that they would protect the sovereignty of Ukraine after Ukraine gave up their uh, nuclear missiles following the fall of Russia. I'm sorry, the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, So... You know, uh, we don't have any good players here. The fact is, right now, I would like the killing to stop. Let me go to um, Mike in L.A. Do I have time? Mike in Los Angeles. Welcome to the broadcast. Very quickly, sir, what's on your mind?
0: Yeah, my view on why uh, Biden's polls are so low uh, came to me yesterday morning. I accidentally caught some of the Sunday morning uh, news uh, background things on the networks and it used to be that when there was any sort of a conflict, politics would stop at the waters' it. Yeah. But today, you have a lot of Republicans and the NRA, and you know that's sort of the camp who have been heavily mm-hmm. influenced by Russian money yep. over many years. Yeah. And I heard this idiot senator saying that, uh, well, yeah, the the the, uh, the sanctions are are good, but he should have put them on before the invasion, which of course would have left Switzerland, you know in a state of neutrality, Mm -hmm. such mendacious, obvious lie uh, done solely for the purpose of attacking President Biden.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of that, ain't there? Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that call. Uh, I I think the job that uh, Joe Biden has done in leading the West, leading the world uh, in opposition to Russia is impressive doesn't mean I think Democrats are wonderful on everything, doesn't mean I think Joe Biden is wonderful on everything, uh, but frankly, credit where it's due. Uh, let me have one more, uh, one more call here from uh, Mel in Huntington Beach. Welcome to the broadcast. Mel, sorry, i got to give you very little time, but go.
2: Okay. Uh, uh, it, uh, for one thing, Biden, he needs to get uh, Helen Caldicott on there and talk about the dangers of nuclear war. And also, um, the aircraft. The first thing they do is bomb the runways. So giving them aircraft—that's that's
4: like senseless. They well, can't land or take off.
1: Well, he's—he's not giving—he's not giving, he's not giving them airway uh, airplanes, Mel. And I, I hate—I do hate to cut you off early. Thank you for the call. I'm sorry about that, uh, but I got to get out. The clock is a. Uh, deadly taskmaster here Uh, I gotta get out my thanks to our board engineer uh, Mark, to our producer Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us sorry we couldn't get to everyone on the phones thanks to our problem with the phones which is apparently now fixed so hopefully next time we'll be able to get to more of you uh, if you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it any time for free at bradblog.com, where we produce them five days a week. You can download them there. You can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.